recording. Please work. We, we are live. Five minutes. <laughs> we are. We are live <laughs> on another technical, technically infested <laughs> TTC podcast. Just we freeze got, as soon as it says recording, Daniel. We have, we have got a, a special yeah. guest this week. We've got a special guest, Abbott, known as Ali Indio on the uh, How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you, guys. Thank you for inviting me. Quick, no quick question. Quick question. How did you first get involved on TTT? <laughs> oh, I think uh, it was it was 2010. It was I think the World Cup, and I used to follow Paul's writing on the LFC website. And then he came up that you know he's launching website, and I was a student and I was writing reports for the World Cup, and then. Someone needs pay in the bank, so like I said, you know, why not, you know, subscribe? And I tweeted to Paul as well, you know, uh, I'm on board the Tompkin Times, and he, they were not emojis and all that, so I think he's just said welcome on board, uh, and I think it's then I came off and on and off with the website as well. But yeah, it's been quite a journey. I think it's ten years. Yeah, it's been ten years since wow. I've been on open TTT. Amazing, Bees, are you there? Well, I am. Yeah, can you hear me? We can hear you. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll go with the volume as it is, and I'll work some magic hopefully in the uh, in the editing suite. How uh, how are you? And how did you find? Let's let's start with the let's start with the good game, the Man City game. <laughs> Not um, how how did you find it? Well, it wasn't pretty to watch, was it? Um, but I think it probably wasn't quite as bad as the end result made it seem either. I think it's one of those that people will look back in 20 years' time and think, oh, yeah, Liverpool were just been celebrating all week and they weren't really on it and they got battered or whatever. But they actually had quite a few good chances while it was nil-nil, a couple of clear-cut chances and they hit the post. Mane had an air shot when he was clean through on goal. You know, another few inches the other way that have had a penalty. So um, I don't think it was quite as bad as 4-0 suggests. The, the, the main issues were in defence, but... Um, it's one of them. I mean, let Man City have that and we'll keep the league title. Thanks very much. <laughs> Absolutely. And Chris, did you get your pyro in? You have to give us an update on the pyro. I did, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was more difficult to use than I was rather hoping for, to be honest. Um, I've got, um, got, got it queued up to coincide with We Are the Champions by Queen. And by the time I'd worked it out, the next track was on. So <laughs> that didn't quite work to, <laughs> according to plan. And I obviously managed to wedge it at an angle. It didn't look like an angle, but I wedged it in the window box with plants in that Henry wasn't aware of. Um, and it was obviously like a 45-degree angle, so it kind of blew to diagonally across the valley rather than <laughs> up into the sky, as was my plan. But um, but it went eventually. It's, there's like a little metal ring pull thing, which... It makes a big deal that you you have to pull it sideways rather than upwards because upwards means you're right above the the stuff, you know. And to pull it sideways, I just think, yeah, just pop it, that'd be it. But it wasn't. It took an almighty tug to do it, you know, almost ruptured myself, you know, trying to get this <laughs> bloody ring pull off. And um, and it, it suddenly came, and I had to, to dodge out the way to avoid covering myself in smoke. So I dodged back in the house, but by, by this time... Just, just moved on to the next track on the album. So I've got it on vinyl, you know. It moved on to the next track, which is really noisy and rocky. And, um, you know, I'd asked Hillary to record it for me. 
but I was farting about so much basically she just gave up and went came back <laughs> so it wasn't actually captured on, on you know on video either apart from the last 10 anticlimactic seconds when it was just running out of steam so it was yeah I, i'll be better next time <laughs> my life debut of um my pyro debut that was <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I think I think those pyro stories, though, Chris, are going to be a lot more interesting than the uh, Aston Villa game, particularly the first half. But what did you make of that one? Bees? Yes. What did you make of the Aston Villa game? It wasn't great, was it? It was pretty dry. Um, partly, I suppose, because Villa were keen to keep Liverpool at bay, which they're obviously welcome to do. But when Liverpool aren't quite at it and with no need to be particularly it didn't make for a very enthralling encounter it's sort of like it's almost like it got to an hour and clock was like this is boring i better bring on some players who might do something and then it all sort of picked up and um it's basically two pretty good moments in 90 minutes of of largely sort of dross kind of decided it really i think um the pass from cater for the first goal particularly was the was sort of the highlight but um no it's, it's definitely not one that's going to live long in the memory probably the dullest game we've had this season or, or maybe for the last few seasons. On the clock, I think so, yeah. Abby, are you there yet? Yeah. Yes, what did you make of the Villa game? I think it was, yeah, I would agree with Bees because it was quite a dull game, but, you know, three months, we haven't had, like, proper football. And, you know, the whole, all of these games, you know, the Villa game and the games before that as well, I'm more seeing them as pre-season like a foundation for the next season and some of these games are bound to disappoint you because the players despite the fitness levels might not be there they might not have had the you know like once you are moving towards a target and like you're up and running after three months of season three months of pre-season or maybe two months as well you're, you're going to be sharp and that break has you know we don't like the word word momentum but you know it has like stopped all of that and then we restart it's more difficult and you'll have these sort of games uh but overall like against what we played at villa park this was much more sort of a controlled performance and villa were like we're on a mission you know because they're in relegation scrap they would want to give everything to survive all of that so and they still have a chance it's a slim chance but they still have it they can still get off the relegation zone so they were giving their all so it was controlled performance, you know, not a not pleasant to the eye. It's the same, something like the Spurs performance in the Champions League final. No one will remember it, but you know, it's the end result that matters, and that's what this team is all about. Certainly, it certainly has been a season. I know we've we've discussed in detail both of those games, and pretty much now the Brighton one. If you go and check out Bees's post match, um, there's lots of good stuff in there because this was a much better performance, Chris, wasn't it? The Brighton game is a a better game to watch, probably the best one we've had since we started. I think so, yeah. Um, and Palace, we played well against Palace, but it wasn't really ever a contest. But that actually was a contest, considering we were 2 0 up after eight minutes or whatever it was. It actually did, you know, you wouldn't have thought it was going to turn out too much of a game after that, but it did. And, um, you know, I thought actually they did deserve to get their goal back from, you know, the chances they made in the first, first half, the situations they got themselves in. Um, and yeah, and it was it was it was the the first game when since since we came back when both sides gave something. You know, we apart from the first twenty minutes, we didn't give too much at City, 
Um, Palace gave absolutely nothing at Anfield. Um, but that was the first game that was actually a match, you know, a, a proper sort of contest that was it was good to watch, actually. Um, just a little aside, when B's just mentioned um, Cater's pass for Mane's goal against Villa, um, we all saw, I think, on the site, the amazing sort of side photo from behind Cater, which showed quite how threaded that pass was. Um, yeah. It was just impossible, you know. Um, the, the way that was, there was no gap to pass it through, but he saw one, you know, um, and uh, and executed it. It's, it's different seeing it. We could all see it from the photo, but absolutely executing the timing of that pass to get it to Mark. Yeah, just, and we're sitting there stationary while we're looking at a photo, you know. But these <laughs> mo- these are people are moving, all of them, you know. So you've got, you've got to build vectors in as well. <laughs> and um, I, I thought it was just amazing, actually, amazing threaded pass, um, which probably was underestimated at the time and certainly was when you look at when you see that side on view quite remarkable but yeah the bright i really enjoyed watching the brighton game um, i did and go on yeah yeah i just um i think it's the first time really that um there was actually an even ish contest um yeah you know between the two sides on the pitch um I mean, city have had four games out of five at home since they came back which they've won, I think, 4-0, 5-0, 5-0 and 4-0 or something like that, or 3-0. I think Arsenal was three, wasn't it? Five past Burnley, four past us, um, and five against Newcastle. So, they've, you know, they've, they've, it's been ridiculous. It's been a goal difference of like 19-0 in their hand. The only contest they, the they had, they'd lost. Yeah, exactly. And as someone pointed out, that was their third consecutive away loss. In other words, at that time, it was the third in the last five games. And our three defeats go back 71 games. You know, they lost as many in five as we'd lost in 71. Um, it's now six and 72. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'll take that. Please, I've, uh, I'm going to link these next two questions. One is how much do these matches matter? And two, how likely is the point record? Because I think the two things are going to be intertwined out there between those who do think they matter and those who are just like, well, we've already won the league. That's the key. Yeah, exactly. They um, they, they they matter in terms of the record. They don't matter in terms of much else. I mean, they, I think they matter to um, Salah as he tries to get the golden <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to be possible with uh, the last, two of the last four games against Chelsea and Arsenal, but we'll see. But obviously, yeah, it certainly matters to him. Overall, yeah, I think it's mainly just in terms of will Liverpool get the the record or won't they? Um, the result yesterday means that their supposedly their chance of of getting the record's gone up to fifty four percent, and then nice. um, they win if they win against Burnley, which you would expect them to do, beat Burnley at home, then the chance goes up to sixty four percent, roughly two in three. So. I think it's one of those where the, the chances of it happening creep up with every match, but as soon as they drop points in one, then it then it virtually wipes it out to almost impossible, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, I think they'll win. Beat, I think they'll beat Burnley, and then it's, uh, it's sort of Arsenal, Chelsea, and they should beat Newcastle. So, um, yeah, that, that's the main way in which the games matter, I suppose, as well. If they're get, giving game time um, to Curtis Jones, obviously scored the other night. Nico Williams uh, played yesterday, stuff like that. You know, there's a benefit from them, but for for quite a few of the players, they probably just want it to be the end of the season, I would think. And Abby, how much are these how much of these matches matter into you? Um and does the points record factor into that? For me it's 
yeah, if you want to have a symbolic, you know, to shut everyone up who's been saying that this season is an asterisk season, it's it's the whole league is like worse off than it was years ago. That's why Liverpool have strolled on to the league title and they've wrapped it up before, you know, before even the pandemic occurred and the whole, you know, restart also happened. Uh, for me, it's if you want to get symbolic about it, yes, it matters. But on the other hand, I'm more interested in like, uh, this is the foundation for the next season. You involve more players, and Klopp said it right that he's not going to have disappearance for the sake of it. The people who are performing day in day out, week in week out in training sessions, get to be part of the playing eleven. So I'm looking at people always say Liverpool don't have a plan A, plan B, plan C. Like they have a plan A, but don't have a plan B, plan C. I mean, this squad, like the first team, has figured out solutions within a match. And they keep doing that. And, you know, even the City game, the first 20 minutes, they should have scored at least once, I think. You know, it, it was just bad luck in terms of finishing. But I feel if you want to get your sharpness ready for the next season, which we don't know what's, what's it going to be like, how much time will we be afforded for the next preseason and what the schedule is going to look like. Because if there are further disruptions and there's a delay, we are going to see much more similar opening to the season as we've seen after the restart. So, you know, people, you know, players getting sharper, getting better at training is is my main thing. And if we get there, that's an bonus. Like if you break the city record of 100 points, it's a great thing. But apart from that, it's all about the players getting the sharpness back after three Absolutely. months break. I think that is the key. And um, as much as the record does matter and it's great to follow and it would be a, a milestone, um, I just... It's just something about these this set of games that isn't quite isn't quite ringing true with me in terms of uh, football matches. Chris, what does it matter to you? Does it does it matter to you if Liverpool are just on the park playing in COVID situations in the stadiums like they are doing now, or having a full a full stadium? Is it is does it matter? Is it just Liverpool have to win? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, the record isn't particularly motivating me, apart from the the fact that there's not really anything else resting on it. So we, might, you know, to avoid it being utterly meaningless, we've got to believe in something and, and chase something. And the fact that perhaps that City hold it, and you know, given our very intense recent rivalry with them, you know, um, it would be kind of nice to to pass that. Um, would we be that bothered if the record was held by West Ham in nineteen seventy one? You know, would we be that bothered about topping that record? I, I think, I think it's partly about who whose record it is and how recently it is um, that adds a little bit to it. Um, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd love to do it. I, you know, people who are saying that it's a weak league. I, I don't, I don't remember them saying that when City won the league by about November three years ago. And finish with hundred points, you know, and it was never a contest at all that season. I don't remember him saying that's that's a sign of a weak league then. Perhaps it, it was it know. was such but, a weak um, league that all all both European finals were had English teams in. That's how weak a league it is. Exactly, you know. Um, I say you know, people have been saying that this season, you know, it must be weak because Liverpool are so far ahead. Well, I don't think they said that when City were so far ahead. You know, when they got their hundred points. Is it three years ago, three seasons ago? Yeah, well, like that. Um, so, from that point of view, I would quite like to at least equal it. Um, 
Arsenal and Chelsea games are the ones that look as though they could be tricky, but I think they've both got FA Cup semi-finals either side of the games we play against them. I think Arsenal's is possibly the weekend after we play them, and Chelsea's is um, well the other way around. But they've both, they've both got sort of FA Cup semi-final complications against Manchester clubs um, either side of our fixtures against them, so it might just leave them with a slightly split focus, um, especially if they actually get through. Um, which obviously we don't have that particular distraction to worry about. Um, but yeah, does it matter? You know, we've won the Ashes already, haven't we? You know, this is just this is just this is just whether we this win the series five. Right yeah. You know. <laughs> I'll be um, just. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna come back to you now because Visa's next question is. Uh, is on is on the Man City issue. Well, how do you th- and I guess the linked, but how do you think um, how do you think this Liverpool side ranks among amongst history or the any kind of English previous English champions? I think uh, I would say number one, but you know, like on top of my mind because they have you know they have done something really remarkable over here, and the way they have accomplished it is like unprecedented. It's it's something that we don't see it quite often. I not just English. If you take the look at you know PSG or Real Madrid or Barcelona, even at their peaks uh, when they were playing like you know when they were had good really good players, even they didn't stroll their leagues like this. They also had hiccups. And the way we are doing it in terms of modern football, I think it's one of the best teams. And people who slayed us that, you know, let we get away with war and all of that, they could, you know, take us as an example of everything coming together, working together, and at just not at just at a normal level, but at an elite level, and blowing everyone apart, that gets unprecedented. To me, they're like one of the best champions that I've seen. I mean, you read about a lot of other English champions as well, but like sometimes it really helps when you watch them up close. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with all the older champions. It's like you haven't been there. But when you see a champion like this and then you read about people who have seen both the teams, the earlier teams and not this team, they say, yeah, this is absolutely surpassed it. It just gives you a little confidence that, yeah, your judgment is right in terms of taking this team as one of the best that has actually come out in football. Chris, I'm just going to come back to you there because you've you've seen quite a few champions of England. Mm. Um, and going back way before the Premier League started, which is which often said... That yeah. Well. Um, so where do they rank for you? Um, pretty high. Um, I'm just, you know, just thinking about how they compare with other Liverpool sides. First of all, um, everyone will obviously think about the the late '80s side of Barnes and Beasley and Aldridge, um, which was imperious and played some fantastic football. Um, the '78, '79 side, which went 30 odd games unbeaten at the start of the season. And the season was pretty much over um, by March, um, as this one was. You know, there are plenty of past examples of, of great Liverpool sides. But I have to say, this this one's right up there. Um, and, of course, the, the context has changed. Um, I don't think there were as many sides at the top of the table as there used to be. There were usually sort of two or three each season that was sort of battling for it. But the, nowadays, you've got, you know, the supposed big six and others like Wolves and Leicester and um, you know, this season Sheffield United have sort of poked their noses into the, the top end of the table. Um, so there are, I think, more 
sort of crucial games against potential rivals now than they used to be. Um, you know, with that Dalglish side in the late eighties, there weren't any potential rivals. We didn't really have a crunch game because it was, you know, it was, they were that far ahead of everybody else. There wasn't really a, a game which we need to win this, you know. Uh, apart from just things like Everton, which is local rights, nothing to do with the league table. But um, this side does. It does have difficult games on paper, you know, games which against serious rivals. And despite that, you know, we have 92 points with four games to go. Having got 97 last year, they've lost three league games in two seasons. And... You know, two consecutive Champions League's final last season, ninety-seven points whilst reaching and winning the Champions League. Um, this this puts this lot to me pretty much up there. Um, it's very hard to sort of compare across generations, but yeah, um, yeah th- th- there's th- these lack for nothing, um, and they've been masterminded by a, a football genius, I think. Absolutely, and bees. I'm going to again link those two questions with you. First of all, who do you, who do you think, or how do you think we rank with past champions? And then linking that in, because quite a few analysts and other people have have been quoting Man City's XG of their top of the XG league. So, to, is have we been fortunate in any sense compared to them, or why might XG favour them more than it has done particularly us this season? Yeah, I mean, in terms of previous champions, um, we've definitely got to be up there, whether we get the points record or not. I mean, the, the, the points record to this point means that they have to be up for sort of consideration and things like that. And as the um, the ELO system, LO system has shown that, um, you know, the, the league isn't actually that weak at the moment, but Liverpool have just sort of dominated it. In terms of the underlying statistics, yeah, obviously, overall, Man City's are are better than, than Liverpool's. And, and I don't think Liverpool have been fortunate very often in their own games. Where they perhaps have been fortunate is that Man City have been sort of unlucky in some of theirs in that there's games they've dropped points in which they've had more than enough chances to to win and they've they've not converted them. So that's obviously helped Liverpool to some extent, although Liverpool would still have the points that they had, even if City had done all 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 of that in some of their other games. With, yeah, with the expected goal stats, I think it, the most interesting way to break it down really is by the is by the game state because that gives a real indication as to why Liverpool have done better than Manchester City because while Man City's figures are better in total, they've amassed lots of it while they're already comfortably ahead in games. Like if you look at um, their expected goal difference when they're at least two goals up, there are 2.3 goals better than their opponent for every 90 minutes, which is just insane, which is why, obviously, they've had all these 4-0 and 5-0 wins and stuff like this. So, by contrast, Liverpool's figure for for being two goals up is 0.97. So, they've still been a goal a game better than teams, but, you know, not to the same extent as, as City. But when you look at being a goal behind, um, Liverpool have been... 1.3 expected goals per 90 better than the team they're playing, whereas City have only been 0.8. So they they wouldn't even be a goal per game better than a team if they were losing for the entire match, which obviously never happens, never losing the match for 90 minutes. So if they're not at least a goal per 90 minutes better than teams when they're losing, it's why they're having problems um, recovering points from losing positions. 
And, and it's quite interesting because Liverpool have, have taken two points per game from the games which they've been losing. And if City had done that, then they'd have 16 more points. And while Liverpool would still be ahead, you know, they, I don't think Liverpool would have won the league yet. No, because they'd be seven points clear. So it's sort of City's inability to fight back um, in games when they've been behind is, is sort of what's decided um, the title. And it sort of explains why they've got the better stats overall, but not actually when it sort of counts. Because they've, they've been um, piling it up in, in garbage time, I think is the phrase Dan <laughs> yeah. uses. But uh, yeah, once they're, once they're two goals up, being being so much better than their opponents doesn't really count for anything. I mean, obviously, you know, the league might come down to goal difference one year, whatever, every so often. But, you know, they're sort of racking up these stats when it just doesn't matter, when it doesn't add anything to to, to the game, really. So, um, yeah, I think um, they, they have missed chances in quite a lot of the games when they've when they've dropped points and stuff, which is which has probably helped Liverpool. But, um, you know, they've just uh, they've not created enough when they've been behind. And uh, that's probably why they've dropped so many points. Also, I'd throw in, uh, I'd love to see how many defensive centre-back pairings that they've had this season compared to us. Um, they've been changing, seems like, virtually every game. I can't really recall a, a, a sustained period of two centre-backs playing for them. And that's largely brought on their own fault for not replacing Vincent Kompany. Um and a couple of buys that haven't quite worked out that they thought they were going to do. Because some of their defending this season, like you say, in the games that they've lost, they've created often three XG to, to 0.8 or something, but conceded two goals from two shots on target or something like that. And if, if your defence is that leaky, um, if, you keep, if your keeper's making mistakes, it's it's, it's yeah. it contributes to your... To results, whereas it might not contribute too much to XG. They're a bit like Liverpool were a couple of years ago um, in that they don't allow that many shots, but they tend to be high-quality chances when they do, which is exactly what Liverpool did early in the Klopp era. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, chopping and changing the the centre-backs um, hasn't obviously helped. But, I mean, Liverpool have done that to, to some extent. I mean, with the, with the big... Uh, with the big if you look at games yeah, against have, yeah. the big six and Everton and you could sort of throw in Leicester... Um, aside from Van Dijk, who plays every game, I mean, none of the others have started more than um, four of the other big games. You know, Matip's had four starts, Lovren's had three, Gomez has had four. So, you know, Liverpool have mixed it up, whether that's through choice or through injuries or whatever. You know, they, they have had to mix it up in the, in the big games this season. They seem to have dealt with it um, a lot better, though, of course, we've had our Van Dijk plus one, whereas for a lot of it, they've not had their Laporte plus one, which would probably be their sort of favoured um, combination, but yeah, they're, they're um, yeah, like I say, a lot like Liverpool used to be in, in not allowing many shots, just really good quality ones, and you're always liable to um, to concede when that's the case. Absolutely. And Abbe, final final question, um, and I think this is about as tough a question as it gets, but I'm going to ask it: Who's been Liverpool's Player of the Year this season? I'm just thinking. Uh, I, I think it's got to be Henderson. I know like a lot of people will be surprised by that choice, but yeah, for me, it has got to be Henderson. And uh, it's just sometimes in in like an elite team like Liverpool, you just need great leaders and characters to like pull you through. I've see, I saw him in flesh uh, when we played Wolves and in the dying moments, he was screaming and shouting at people not to lose concentration. And, you know, it was just a slender one nil lead and Wolves that day were so good. Like, they deserved the point at least, and they were quite unlucky that their goal got ruled out by war uh, just before half time. 
by one of one of the opposition players toe being like offside by a millimeter or something quite ridiculous but uh, when i when you look at these players you know when you go to a stadium and when you look at that what they're doing just not with the ball because your camera is like following you like the that's the problem with like when you watch a match in a tv because they're just following the action with the ball not without the ball so the organization van dyke does it really well you've got allison who like is also responsible for keeping that back line there's a lot of feedback communication going on but henderson like keeps the whole group knitted and i think he's been in and out of the team as well but to me like he's been the absolute uh player of the season he may not even get it but for me he's the absolute glue for the whole team and to an extent milner as well like club the other day was talking about how important milner is to the dressing room like some of the some of the team talks you know it's just milner's there he does half of the job so for me it's got to be henderson well i'm glad you've gone henderson i think that's gonna um throw throw an image to back chris i'll go you next chris who who's yours then very interesting um yeah well who, you know if you, who are the contenders really i suppose um I think Allison's had a pretty good season, but he's he's actually missed quite a, a bit of it as well through injury, particularly at the start. Um, Trent has had a few eye-catching performances. Um, Mane would be a contender, according to Micah Richards on Match of the Day last night, and I would agree with that. Um, Van Dyke has been, well, you know, been Van Dyke, hasn't he? He's not. He perhaps hasn't reached quite the level he did last season, but that's that's just an absurd, you know, an absurd standard to meet. It's like Salah's first goal-scoring season here. Um, you know, he's not exactly done badly since, but that was just freakish. And as was Van Dyke's, I think, last season. Uh, so you know, they're, they're all the runners. But you, you'd, you've got to agree with Abby. You know, um, Henderson has been absolutely outstanding this season. Um, not just through leadership and um but actually through his actual performances on the pitch he's actually shown many facets to his game i think some of which perhaps people weren't so aware of the creativity and and passing and the superb goal last night um yeah it's it's got to be it's got to be the captain it's got to be i just hope he's going to be around um you know, I, I don't know that that looked that looked last night to me a little bit of a um, ACL. I'm not sure. I hope it's not because um, the season's over if it is. But um, you know, I'd like him to. I'd love to. I'd love him to actually be there to lift the trophy against Chelsea. I'm sure he will be, even if he's in a, you know, even if he's in plaster. You know, he'll still be there. But it would be nice to actually lead the team out and lift that trophy. Um, but regardless of that. Um, I think for his all-round contribution, but it, you know his leadership we, we know about. But I think he, his, his on-pitch performances have added a level of of craft and subtlety and creativity, as well as the, you know to the usual attributes of hard work and all the rest of it. There's a bit more to him than that. Um, I saw a tweet saying he's got more non-penalty goals than De Bruyne this season. Well, you know, there you go. Um, you know. He's, he's, you know, I think, I think there's more to him than people concede. You know, he's not, you know, perhaps due to his spell playing as a sort of de- as a defensive midfielder, people haven't realised that he's actually 
um, such an asset going forward further up the pitch. So I think for any number of reasons, I think it would have to be it'd have to be Henderson that gets it for me. Yeah, bees. Bees. It looks like the vote has already been decided on this podcast. But uh, can you can you throw us another name? I'm not going to let mine go yeah. yet. Quite yet. Yeah, I am going to make a case for somebody else, actually. Um, with with Henderson, I mean, it, it wouldn't be wrong if he won it by any means. He's had a great season. And it sort of feels a bit like almost um, kind of like a lifetime achievement award in some ways. It's like he's been with us since basically since the start of the FSG sort of project ninth season at the club and everything he's been through. And he's not been universally popular along the way. And he's probably still not. But he's kind of the team have grown and he's grown and it's all sort of come together. So um you know, it's not like I would be um, foaming at the mouth if he were to win it. But I think the actual player of the year for me uh, should be Sadio Mane. Um, because I think he has delivered so many um, key moments, been involved in so many key moments um, that have proven vital to, to where the team has sort of gotten to. Um, if you look at um, Liverpool's first goal in games this season, not necessarily the first goal of the game, but Liverpool's first goal, he has assisted six of them, which is the joint most with Trent. And he scored nine of them, which is at least four more than anyone else. So when it comes to the first goal, Liverpool's first goal, he's been involved in 15 of them when nobody else can, uh, or has been involved in more than eight. So he's almost twice as good as anybody else on that front. And, and you can't underestimate the importance of the first goal, whether it's taking the lead. Um, and Liverpool have won every single league game in which they've scored first this season. I think it's 26 now. Um, but also just getting them back into games, games like the Newcastle game where they went behind and then he scores the equaliser and stuff like that. So I think for his contribution in many, many sort of key moments, um, I'd give it to, to Mane. But as as the other two have already said, there's there's plenty of plenty of worthy candidates. So are you going to make this a 2-2 draw or who's your, uh, who's your nominee? <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, I... Uh... I didn't have any of those. I had I had one of two. It's either Trent or Salah for me. Um and I think genuinely, up until the point when I thought we won the season won the league in, against Leicester, I thought Trent was the best player. I thought he was the key to so much of what we were doing. Um he was he were introducing switches of play like I've never seen before by anybody, but doing it from a p- position on the pitch that I haven't seen anybody do either. It's like he's reinventing the the whole the whole the whole role of being a fullback, and he's got Robertson doing it not quite to the same level, I don't think. And Beast, he did it. I remember doing the videos for an article on Trent um, with these switches of players and with his set piece contribution and his improvement in defence. Um, he's pressing, he's pushing high to keep the high line. I don't, until Nico Williams was coming along, I didn't think there was anyone that could have possibly replaced what he does. Um, but it's got to be Klopp. <laughs> <laughs> Klopp's a Klopp. I know he's not a player, but uh, he's the one that brings it all together. And this, the fact that there's eight valid candidates, maybe, for player of the season there. Uh, I think tells us all we need to know. Thank, thanks for all. So Henderson wins the TTT Player of the Season pack, unless unless Paul does a casting vote, he gets five <laughs> votes. I think. <laughs> but um, I appreciate all your time. Uh, it's been a tough one at the start, but cheers. cheers.